Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, Daniela, for that excellent presentation. It's a perfect segue into transition of care. Uh, I have a couple of facts that I want to share with you uh, to start with, and then I have a couple of questions for you, and then we'll get into the presentation. So when you think about what Daniela talked about and the lack of education in the uh, patients with IBD, about 20% of the U.S. population is in the age group of 12 to 26. And that's really where I'm going to be focusing my talk today. And it's important to think about if we can start at that age or even a little bit before that, it's really going to be important for that adult population so that they know how to take care of themselves. I think the second thing that I wanted to say is... I have been working in the area of transition of care for probably about 10 to 12 years. And in some respects, it's pretty frustrating because we haven't made the strides that we want to make in transition of care. If you look at uh, the uh, national, state, and community studies, we really have uh, still a very, very long ways to go in educating uh, children, uh, young adults, and young adults in the area of transition of care. Uh, I wanted to also ask the group a couple of questions. How many of you are pediatric people? So a good number. And are all of you that are pediatric people working in transition of care? Yes? Okay. Okay. How about those of you who are adult-focused Are you in the situation, by show of hands, that you are receiving these patients? Okay. So everybody, most everybody in the room has a role somewhere, it looks like, in transition of care. So that's really, really uh, good and really, really important. If you look at the title of my talk, I, I actually gave it a lot of thought because we often have a struggle, right? We say, are they ready to go or aren't they ready to go? How old are they? Are, or should, should they be going because of their age? Should, be, should they be going because of their developmental level? Should they be going because of their level of maturity? So we really try really hard to think about all those things, but, but there are some cases where they are just literally not ready to go. I used to beat myself up over that and think that it was all my fault, but as, you go, as I go through my talk today, you'll see that there's a lot of factors and some that we absolutely can't control. I have no disclosures. I'm just going to put these objectives up there briefly. It's just going to tell you, hopefully, some information on how you could move forward if, in fact, you want to establish a program, if, in fact, you want to tweak the current program that you have in transition of care. So this is not a uh, new definition. of transition of care. Um, It's from the um, adolescent uh, medicine group, but you see it's really important to have a purposeful planned movement. Uh, And this was actually part of the uh, DHHS Healthy People 2020 report. So this is the NASPKIN statement from 2002, and it really is, you know, 16 years old now. But if you, if you look at this statement, you can see that all the things that we want to do for our patients in transition of care are all here. But the problem is we're not always doing them. And there was a 2016 uh, National Children's Health 
study done that showed that 83% of our young adult patients are not prepared to transition when we are actually getting ready to transition them. And so what are the parameters that they looked at in that transition of care? The first was seeing the adolescent patient alone. That was number one. Number two was preparing that adolescent with information to be able to care for themselves. And number three was discussing transfer of care with that patient to adults. So it's really very, very basic, but only 17% of those patients were prepared with that basic information. It's kind of uh, concerning at this point after we've been working in the area of transition of care for, for the past 20 years. So I talked earlier about how I used to beat myself up over um, the transfers that didn't go quite as well um, as I had hoped. But you you have to think about it's not all on you, correct? Um, The adolescent has to be able to take the responsibility. We all know that some of our adolescents are, are very, very immature and Even at 21, or whatever age we decide to uh, make that transfer, they're not ready for it. Uh, My most uh, successful experiences have been a mature adolescent with a uh, parent or parents who were heavily involved and had taught adherence to that adolescent from early on. Uh, We often... uh, transition to the adult medicine group at UNC. And so that group is a big factor. We don't always transition to them. And so you have to think about what the role is of the team that you're actually transferring uh, to. And then certainly the healthcare system. If the patient doesn't have any insurance, which I have a patient in that situation right now, that makes it very, very difficult. So this is a slide that's been around for a long time, and, and I, at the risk of saying something that's, that's been said before, I think the key in this, in this statement of transition is it's a gradual process, and you can't start the day before um, they're making the transfer. So there's a lot of information on this slide, and I'm going to go through uh, each of the uh, points individually. We know that transition is important for all our adolescents. We know we are are having more and more patients that have special health care needs. We know that ineffective transition may lead to problems with adherence, uh, gaps in care, increased disease complications. There's even more uh, reasons why ineffective transition uh, is, is not a, a good thing. Uh, we have patient dissatisfaction. We have increased ED and hospitalization uh, visits. So there's many reasons why uh, we want to uh, make sure we're transitioning our patients effectively. We want, as a goal, an uninterrupted and coordinated care. We want an anticipated uh, transfer with no surprises. About 10 or 12 years ago, I I sent a patient uh, who is 18 and a freshman in college for uh, a resection of her Crohn's disease. 
And I was very dismayed to read in her hospital note that she would now be an adult. Uh, she would now be with the adult team uh, at UNC. And I vowed that would never happen again because basically what happened is the surgeons came in and said, you're 18 now, it's time to go to uh, the adult group. And so that was very, very frustrating to me. She was not medically stable. She was not in a good place to make that transition at all. There are lots of barriers. You know, we always think about the barriers that are the switch from parental decision-making to independent decision-making. We think about, you know, there's been a long-established relationship with the pediatric provider. You know, I've had patients, uh, the last patient I transitioned I'd had for 15 years. And so I I really try very hard not to cry when they um, get transitioned, but sometimes it's very difficult because it's like launching your own children. Um, And then lastly, we know that many adult providers have trouble handling the adolescent issues, um, and they uh, don't understand adolescent development and and admit that. Uh, But there's also other barriers. Uh, Sometimes there's lack of a high school education. Sometimes there's lack of parental understanding, psychosocial problems, a whole host of other factors that uh, play into it. So transition in practice, um, you know, there is an increased uh, recognition nationally, but we know that far less than 50% of these children with special health care needs are receiving the services uh, that they should be, get, be getting. Uh, we know that a lot of the uh, literature is uh, not evidence-based. We know that some uh, programs have the ability to... Um, have coordinators for transition. Others uh, do not. But we do know that the need for planning is clear, and we don't always know how to get there. So this is an older study, but I think it's still very relevant today. And 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 there is the, the one thing that I think has happened more in recent years is there's more focus on the role of the adult gastroenterologist. It's not all about us peds people trying to make sure these kids are ready. It's about both peds and adults. And so really looking at these percentages here, like I mentioned before, they don't always feel comfortable uh, addressing the developmental issues. They don't always feel like they get an adequate medical summary. Uh, They feel like the adolescents have uh, knowledge gaps in their medical history and their medications. So we know that this process should occur in several phases, and ideally it should start between about age 12 to 14. Now that doesn't always happen because uh, sometimes patients are 15 when they're diagnosed, so you have a shorter period of time to uh, make that uh, transition. But in the beginning, it's very important for them to outline what it is the expectations are for the adolescent. Uh, in the early teen years. And that middle period, there's that overlap between pediatric and adult, and that's when they're hopefully beginning to practice some independence with the idea that in phase three or the latter phases that uh, the adult provider will assume responsibility for care and the patient should really start to take more uh, initiative in terms of their care. 
So you want to make sure you're using resources to assess uh, res uh, readiness, whether it be uh, disease-specific uh, surveys or uh, age-based templates or checklists or all of the above. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about using the different forms and the different uh, questionnaires and uh, templates uh, in practice with examples from how we've used them. So um, after uh, a report came out in 2011 on uh, transition of care and how the process needed to occur, uh, this uh, group was established. And five years ago, if you, if you looked at their website, there really wasn't a whole lot on it, but it, it has really uh, come a long way in terms of helping to guide people through uh, transition. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, there are six core elements of health care transition that uh, define uh, the basic components. And, and they're pretty basic. First of all, establishing a policy, uh, tracking progress, uh, administering assessments, planning for care, tr actually making the transfer, and then integrating into an adult uh, practice. And this slide has kind of a lot on it, but what I tried to do is take that information and really break it down into what could be done at different ages so that by the time the adolescent gets to be in the uh, 18 to 21 uh, age group and the transfer of care happens, uh, that they've got a health care uh, transition plan. They've got a medical summary. Uh, they're ready to take care of themselves because somebody's been monitoring and tracking their transition. The, in addition to the increased role of the adult provider in transition of care in, in, in the literature in recent years, the, the other thing that, that's important, and this kind of goes along with that uh, increased role, is confirmation of completion of transfer. So if I send a patient to the adult group, I am not done with them. I still need to have contact with them after the fact. And I think that that's an area that we really are needing to do a better job with. So there's various assessments that you can use. There are disease-specific assessments and disease-neutral assessments. And a lot of centers use the transition readiness assessment uh, questionnaire or the uh, track. And the nice thing about the disease-neutral uh, tool is that, that you can use it for any um, uh, any adolescent with special health uh, care needs. It's an adolescent self-report uh, questionnaire, and it's 20 questions divided into five sections. And those five sections are managing medications, appointment keeping, tracking health issues, talking with providers, and managing daily activities. <coughs> Excuse me. The UNC uh, Transition Index, which used to be called the UNC Transition Scale, I'm not really sure why uh, the name got changed, but um, it's, it's basically the same tool uh, that we have used for more than uh, 10 years. And 
the reason I like this tool is because it's not all about self-report. When we did a study several years ago and looked at how adolescents uh, perceive their transition, their perception of how the, the transition went uh, was ver- very different from our perception of how the transition went. So what we think is when they tell you by self-report uh, that I can manage my medications, for example, that what, what is their basis for, for saying they can manage their medications? So this, we're actually getting the answers to the questions from them. In other words, what disease do you have? What medications do you take? Um, and we're actually getting those answers not by self-report. So, so that we find very, very helpful. It is 32 questions um, on 10 global skills. We use the acronym TRANSITION, easy to remember. And um, it's done either online or paper. It takes seven to eight minutes. And it's based on level of knowledge, 0.5 or 1 as adequate knowledge. So we really look at focusing on different things for different age groups. So the 12 to 14 Uh, year old should know what type of illness they have, what medications uh, they're taking. They should be understanding and talking with us about adherence. And then, granted, nobody at age 14 knows what they're going to do with their life, but what are they thinking about later on? And then in 15 to 18, we're looking at nutrition, self-management, insurance issues, and issues of reproduction. And then after um, 18 uh, years of age, ongoing support and really thinking about uh, new health care providers. And and some centers make that transition uh, when uh, the adolescent goes to college. Uh, We usually try, unless they're going very, very far away. A lot of our uh, patients stay in the state of North Carolina. And so if they do and they're within easy um, proximity of us, then we'll go ahead and uh, uh, keep them with us. If they're several hours away, we might have them have a backup physician at uh, their uh, university. So along with the um, transition uh, index, uh, we also have what's called the STAR-X questionnaire. And there are 18 questions, and this is very, very quick to do, uh, that looks at uh, medical provider communication, disease knowledge, and self-management. Uh, and again, this is self-report, but you've got that other information that goes with it that you have uh, gotten the answers to. There is also a parent version of this um, that... Uh, can also be administered. It's just like the STAR-X, it's just worded uh, from a parent's perspective. And then this again further breaks down that, uh, those age groups and uh, what are the patient responsibilities for each age group and what are the healthcare team uh, responsibilities. So This is something that I think is really, really, really important. How many of you that are in pediatrics, when your patient turns 18 or is about to turn 18, have the discussion about having parents uh, remain involved in care? Okay. Do you have the patient sign anything to say their parents can stay involved? Yes? Good. Because a lot of places, I think they don't, they don't do it. And for years, I was just having a documentation in their note. But what we've actually starting, started to do 
now is we, we have them fill out that medical release so it's on paper. And we actually use the quote, all information regarding the patient's care may be released in both written form or orally. Really, really, really important. And honestly, probably most of these kids still want their parents to be involved. And if you think about it in IBD, there's so much decision-making that occurs. And between the years of 18 and 21... You know, deciding on whether to start a biologic or not, that's, that's a difficult decision for an 18-year-old to make independently. And so most of our uh, adolescents want their, their parents to still stay involved. The other thing is getting uh, coding credit for uh, doing transition of care, right? It takes a lot of time. And you can just use an extended time on your um, coding, or you can use a variety of other codes, such as these that are up here, to actually uh, document that you spent extra time with a patient based on uh, a variety of issues that are related to education, uh, complex chronic care, et cetera. But there's a whole bunch uh, more uh, codes that you can use, and actually at gottransition.org, uh, there are probably 10 or 15 more codes that can be used. These just um, are uh, some of the more common ones. So I know uh, Kristen in a little while, Kristen Madden is going to be uh, doing some case studies, but I love case studies and I couldn't resist having one case study uh, myself. And so this, this was probably in... 15 years of taking care of these patients, uh, my biggest success story. And uh, her real name is not Jordan, but she uh, transferred, I transferred care for her uh, two years ago. And we had a uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Education Day, and she actually spoke with me. Um, she, she really got it. And it's interesting because she was diagnosed at age 15, so she was beyond that 12 to 14 year uh, period when uh, most get diagnosed. And I was I was not sure how it was going to go. Uh, her mother came to every single visit with her and didn't want to leave the room. Um, you know, uh, in the early stages because there was a lot going on. Her mother also had this big, big binder that she would bring with her every time. And I, and I really worried that there was going to be a point where I was just going to have to say, look, you know, it's time. But, but it was really, really interesting because in those last two years of high school, mom came, mom would step out towards the end that last year. And it worked really, really well. She, she had fairly complicated Crohn's disease. She was on a lot of different uh, medications. You can see over those five years uh, from 2010 to 2015. She went um, several hours away to college. She had a backup uh, an adult gastroenterologist uh, during the four years that she was in college because she was uh, initially during that time period getting infliximab. And uh, so she had it administered uh, at school. And then in the fall of 2016, she had graduated that previous May. She was turning 22, which is, uh, for those of you who are uh, pediatric uh, nurse practitioners, we, we have to let go by that point. And sometimes it's the day before they turn 22 when they actually uh, leave me, but that's still okay. Um, 
and if you don't know this already, you can actually get permission from your state board to see these patients beyond uh, age 21. And so I've actually done that because I have some that take a little bit longer to uh, finish school, and they might not be done until 23. So I, I might keep them another uh, six months or a year if they've been uh, on the slow road through college. So she uh, actually uh, transferred care in October of 2016. She's now followed by uh, the UNC adult folks. Uh, she's had no gaps in care. She's currently working full-time at a nonprofit uh, agency. She's just doing really, really well. And so we, we reflected when we did that talk together on what went so well for her, why it went so well, and when we did the talk, I asked her four questions. I said, what was easy, what was hard, what did you wish you knew, and what advice would you give to those who are upcoming? And she said she felt like it was easy because her mother parceled the information out to her as she went along. And here I was worrying about this mother with this big binder who was never going to let her only child go. And the mother got it completely and did really, really well with it. So as I was parceling it out, she was allowing that to happen. Um, she said what was hard was fear of making mistakes. You know, was she going to make a mistake um, and do something as she, as she um, moved along? Was she going to have a little bit of trouble uh, doing what she needed to do? Um, she also felt like, and, and we don't use that NASPIAN checklist religiously, the one that has the little tear-off sheets that you can get uh, for free from NASPIAN. She actually wished she had had um, a checklist approach in addition to everything else. So that was helpful information to know because different people learn in different ways. And then the advice that, that she would give was just moving slowly, taking on a little bit at a time. All makes sense, right? It's all basic common sense, but it just really, really worked well for her. And so I often questioned, you know, why did it work so well for her? And, and it really was because she was an engaged, mature patient. She had very engaged parents that were doing as much as they could for her, but also realizing that, th that they needed to let go, and that letting go came at the break when she started college. And then hopefully she had uh, two engaged uh, providers, myself and her uh, adult uh, gastroenterologist that she uh, transferred to. So just to talk a little bit about what we're planning to do um, in the near future, uh, we have had a what we call a transition binder for years and years. It's had updates, and now we're just needing it to needing to put it online. We hadn't done that before. Um, we are actually building a mentoring program. We have a UNC college student that is on our uh, ICN team who is uh, going to start uh, mentoring these adolescents who are going to college and adult care. And then lastly, um, and um, I've talked to everybody that I know around the country uh, in preparation for this, including visiting Amy uh, Donegan at uh, Nationwide uh, recently. Um, we're going to start annual health maintenance visits, and transition to care will be part of that and documentation of such in the medical record. So just lastly, take-home points. These are all pretty basic. The earlier that you can start in very, very small ways, the better. 
creating a plan. If an age-appropriate checklist is helpful for that patient, that's great. Performing regular assessments, and regular is usually yearly of the patient readiness. Uh, A stepwise process for seeing the provider alone. Finding a GI provider, coordinating and communicating with that adult provider, getting the uh, medical records together, and then ensuring that continuity of care occurred after uh, transfer. And these are just, if if you're in uh, slideshow, these are all uh, linked. Uh, These are just some of the uh, resources that I use. Um, I didn't mention Doc for me, but that's a a new NASPGEN app um, that can be helpful. And um, the rest of it you can just uh, take a look at um, if you haven't uh, looked at all those sites uh, in the past. Thank you so much.